Right, this is David Lovell bringing you a very special podcast in memory of Brody Lee, uh, who sadly passed away at the weekend. Now, I could have done the show by myself. I followed his career through WWE and AEW, but I really wanted to touch on his career as a whole. And in order to do that, I've got a couple of uh, very special guests joining me. Guys I know from the uh, Fight Game podcast Facebook group. They both write, actually, for F4W slash WrestlingObserver.com. And they also write for the Fight Game website as well. Uh, Paul Fontaine and Parker Klin join me. Um, welcome both of you guys. Uh, Parker, I want to start with you, because you were the first guy to sort of um, reach out to me when I put the message up on the Fight Game podcast facebook group i wanted to do the show you were like i would love to come on because i followed brody's career i can talk you know pretty knowledgeably about about him when was the first time you would have seen brody so the first time i would have seen brody lee would, would have actually been when he was luke harper for his introduction in nxt uh with the wyatt family however um that was the time of my wrestling fandom when I got super into the mid to late 2000s um, indie scene where, you know, promotions like CZW and Chikara, Ring of Honor, even Dragon Gate USA um, were, were very popular and thriving at that time. And, you, you know, you go back and you look at some of the match cards and it's like, wow, there was so much talent, including Brody Lee on these, on these cards. And so through that, sort of by osmosis, I, I've seen, I would say, 80 to 90% of the major matches in, in Brody Lee's career, not just in WWE and AEW, but also in those uh, American and even Japanese indie promotions, as he did have multiple tours of Japan with Dragon Gate. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's sort of my background with him. And uh, was it a similar sort of story for you, Paul? Would it have been when he came in? as part of the Wyatt family, would that have been your introduction as well? Pretty much. I mean, I I did see a very little bit of him in Ring of Honor. Um, I was just looking up to see, and, and he basically, he only had three matches in Ring of Honor, so I, I mean, I probably saw them all, uh, but I wasn't really into that indie scene at the time, even though I was you know, a wrestling fan. I had heard of him, and I was looking forward to seeing him, but, but that was really my first big exposure to him was uh, when he debuted in NXT in uh, 2012. I was really, I don't know if disappointed is the right word, but I, when I found out he wasn't named after Bruiser Brody, that was a real, that was a huge letdown for me because I really thought, you know, this is obviously a very intelligent, articulate guy that looks the way he does. It's clearly, I mean, he's called Brody Lee because of Bruiser Brody, but then I came to find out, no, he's named Brody Lee because of a character in Mole Rats. Uh, so when did you guys become aware of that? Did you have the same sort of thought as me that I must be named after Bruiser Brody, surely? Was that what you thought, Parker? Uh, yeah, David, I thought the exact same thing. And it was funny when um, David Meltzer on Observer Radio, um, he just recently, like in passing, talked about how he was talking about Brody King in, in Ring of Honor. And he was like, no, everybody who's Brody needs to have long hair. <laughs> Bruiser Brody, Brody Lee, and he was upset because Brody King shaved off all of his hair. And so I was thinking to myself, well, so in hindsight, I'm like, well, Dave may have thought the exact same thing. Um, and obviously later on in his career, especially getting into um, more his career and like Evolve and places like that, he did base a lot of his persona off of Bruiser Brody, obviously one of the all-time greats. But, yeah, finding out that the name did not come from Bruiser Brody was a bit of a, an interesting surprise for me recently as well. And I think I saw... I'm not even sure. Well, sorry, I was, I'm not even sure if Dave is aware of that because he, he said on, like, the Observer Radio they did with Brian Alvarez, uh, he said something, I can't remember how he worded it, but obviously he, he named himself after Bruiser Brody or something like that. So something he wasn't even like, aware. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I saw on your on your Twitter, Paul. It, I think yeah. you you mentioned it on there, didn't you? That uh, you were kind of like, what he wasn't named well, after. The, the funny thing is, is I did hear that interview in 2010 uh, that he did with Brian Alvarez that was posted on the Observer website yesterday. So I guess I had just forgotten um, because I when I heard the interview, I I vividly remembered it. 
um, mostly because he name drops Mookie Ghana, who of course is Chris Harrington, who they're childhood best friends, and I knew they were friends. So that's part of the reason I I listened to the interview back then because I wasn't I I would always skip interviews with guys that I wasn't familiar with, and this was one that I actually listened to at the time. Yeah, I think that um, obviously there are definite comparisons you can make, certainly with his um, recent persona in AEW, uh, where it's definitely kind of like a, a throwback to Bruiser Brody's run in Japan as like the intelligent monster kind of thing. Um, and I definitely feel that when he came into AEW, that Dark Order storyline was really floundering wasn't it It wasn't really a very good storyline he really injected so much life into that and and look at how well they're doing now you look at guys like john silver and alex reynolds and anna jay and you sort of wonder would they have gotten over as well without Brody lee i mean he really brought so much to that to that um faction didn't he parker i mean it's just uh yeah yeah i'm, I'm thinking of you know we've gone over some of the other um choices for who the exalted one the leader of the dark order would have been and there was matt hardy and i think by that point sort of the broken stuff had been kind of played out and maybe wasn't the best you know that would have been the best role for him um somebody like marty Skrull, obviously he had his own issues that came mm -hmm. up during the yeah. summer but it's hard for me to imagine that he would have been as big of a star as Brody lee in that role and then obviously somebody like luther who was also considered like nowhere near on the level of of Brody Lee and <clears throat> yeah I mean I watched I'm not a fan of being the elite personally I don't really watch it because it's not really my style of humor but the skits the video that they put together of him interacting with his you know buffoon followers <laughs> who can't get a single thing right um tossing papers in evil Uno's face uh and John Silver and just like belittling them the whole way it was it was hilarious. I was I was laughing out loud watching it, um, and just based on the the sort of outpouring of support that he that he got in the wake of his passing about how he made everything better. I mean, yeah, the Dark Order was a genuine hot storyline throughout the summer. Just you know, after being AEW's probably biggest punchline. Um, as they had that, that horrible show-closing brawl last December. Um, so, I mean, all credit to, to Brody Lee for, and obviously everybody at AEW for helping to make that decision and, and to make that, that storyline success successful. Paul, you're the other side of the coin when it comes to being the elite. You, you love being the elite, don't you? You're a big fan of it. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, is I was kind of in the camp of Parker where, you know, everything I'd heard about it, I just was avoiding it like the plague. And then... Just so many people were talking about it, and I, I just felt like I was missing out. So I went back in the summer and started watching right from the beginning. And, you know, it was pretty easy to do because the first few episodes are only like five, ten minutes long. So I, I, I went all the way up to, um, you know, to the current. And then when I got to the current, like, I was, you know, right invested in all the storylines. And then they have storylines. Like, it's it's a very different kind of humor. There's, there's a lot of... Uh, real bad language, as I'm sure Parker figured out watching it, uh, the clips that he did today. But um, the, the, I mean, really, the last uh, I'd say six months, you might as well just call it being the Dark Order. Like that, that whole show is just basically, it's more John Silver and Alex Reynolds. But it, Brody Lee definitely took them to another level because before that, nobody really cared about these guys. Like I, I didn't even know which one was which. And Brody Lee just made a point of belittling John Silver every single time and saying his name like 10 times a show. So you knew who he was. And then Tony Khan was so impressed by his performance on uh, the on the Dark Order segments on BTE that he actually called him into his office and he told him he was in trouble. And then, you know, he's like, why? And he's like, well, because you're not showing any of that personality that you do on BTE on the main shows. So I want you to do that on the main shows. And that's when he started getting a bigger push on Dynamite. So, um, in in a way, like Brody Lee, just you know, and and John Silver gives all the credit to him. Absolutely, and I think uh, he, you know, like like Parker was saying, Matt Hardy's name was linked a lot with being the Exalted One, and I think Brody was definitely the right choice. It's just a great shame that his debut would have been in Rochester, New York, his hometown, and because of COVID. 
it never happened. In fact, he never really got to appear in front of a live crowd for AEW. And I, I think he would have gotten over so well. And imagine how over the Dark Order would be. Because everyone says it doesn't really translate on, on TV too well. But everyone says that in the building, you're in Daly's place with the crowd that's there, particularly John Silver, is so over with that crowd. Uh, it's just a shame that we don't really... You can't really hear it in the crowd, can you, Parker, when you watch the show? No, and I mean, I, I think you said it yourself that the Dark Order, I mean, they were just, they're just nothing. They're just like a heel sort of mid-card tag team to to allow maybe like a team like Private Party to beat them, um, to move up. But I mean, you put Brody Lee in there and all of a sudden there's some legitimacy to the group as this big star, this sort of, this gi- literal giant of a human being who's also super well-spoken has this awesome look with like wearing the full suits, but also having the the like terrifying hair and beard and those those eyes that I think are maybe uh, Lee's most striking feature as a wrestler. To have that backing up all of those all the talented wrestlers that are in the group, I think. I mean, I didn't. If you would have told me a year ago, after that brawl, that the Dark Order would not only still be around a year later, but also like would also be way more popular and have expanded to the point of them being an act on TV every single week, I, I wouldn't have believed you. And I think the number one reason for that is is Brody Lee's performance and his decision in, in the direction that they took that group. I think that's absolutely the case. And I think that um, I read or heard that initially, obviously, there was a lot of comparisons to Mr. McMahon because of the fact he was calling himself Mr. Brody Lee. And I think he made sort of an effort... Paul, I think I'm right in saying, in, in sort of trying to distance himself away from the sort of Vince comparisons early on, didn't he? Because he, he kind of resented, I don't know if resent is the right word, but he, he didn't like the fact that everyone was sort of focusing in on that in, when he first um, came into AEW. Yes and no. I mean, I think he would he would do throwbacks to it occasionally. Um, and again, I may be conflating stuff that happened on Dynamite and BTE, but I do remember something just, just a, you know, maybe September, late August, where and I think they showed it in the clips that Parker would have watched was where he was making a joke about the Twitch. And he says, what are you doing on Twitch? We're, Twitch is done. We're getting rid of Twitch. It's over. And it was, you know, basically just making fun of it. But, but yeah, he, I, I compared his character to, um, if anybody who is a fan of SNL, Will Ferrell, uh, he would do these skits in, in the 2000s where he was like the, he always played the parent and all the younger cast members would play the little kids, and they would start out just being this happy family, and then they would all start fighting, and then he would just blow his stack. And that was like, you know, pretty much every Dark Order skit. Um, You saw a little bit of it on Dynamite, but on Dynamite it was more just, he had his little minions running around for him, so he was kind of more like the higher power with the you know the undertaker in the corporate ministry i would say uh is, but but it definitely had his own uh twist to it and, and definitely um using a lot of the elements of bruiser brody um whether or not he got the name from bruiser brody he definitely got his persona from bruiser brody absolutely i, th- I think that um a lot of blame obviously put on vince and WWE for not doing more with uh him when he was in WWE. uh but i think as you quite rightly said, Paul, in the Facebook group yesterday, I mean, it, a lot of times it was due to injury. Like the Bludgeon Brothers were going to get a big push. I think it was actually Rowan that came down with an injury right as they were sort of getting that big push. There always seemed to be some sort of spanner thrown into the works. So, I mean, they did at times try with him, but I, I do think it is fair to say that he was underutilized there, Parker. What do you think? Do you think that's a fair comment that he wasn't? used his full potential in WWE? Yeah, I would say, I mean, just personally for me as, as a fan of wrestling, who, I mean, I watch wrestling programs for the matches and for the storylines leading up to the matches. I mean, that can sometimes help it, but I'm excited in the matches. And so when you get somebody just sort of as athletically talented as Brody Lee as Luke Harper, and you get you get him in there, you team him with a similarly, similarly athletically talented person like Rowan, who maybe wasn't as experienced in the ring, wasn't as polished, but could still do a lot of the athletic things that Harper could do. You have a fantastic leader mouthpiece in Bray Wyatt. You know, you, you kind of hoped that there would be 
something more there. There were flashes. Um, they had a fant- that fantastic six-man tag match with, or multiple fantastic six-man tag matches with The Shield um, that uh, were really exciting storylines, some really like fresh talent, because this is also sort of towards the beginning of The Shield's run as well. Um, and then he also had that taste of main event level, of a main event run, which I believe was beginning of 2017 or 2018, either one of those two years where it was around Elimination Chamber time that he was getting a world title shot when he did finally split with uh, split with Bray Wyatt. And it was like, okay, maybe they're going to do something with this guy. He was, he was very over with the crowds. People liked him, but he just never really got a chance to show that. I mean, you go back and you look at his high, highly rated matches from WWE, and they're, they're all, almost all tag matches. Mm-hmm. He had one at the beginning of... of it was the beginning of 2017 was the year he started to get that singles run. He had that one challenge against Randy Orton, and then way back in 2014, he had a, he lost the Intercontinental title to Dolph Ziggler, and that was considered to be a very strong match as well. But really, aside from those two, I mean, he has very, very little in the way of really good singles matches in that seven-year run in WWE for his prime. And so as a fan of his wrestling talent, that's, that was a major disappointment. Yeah, I think the match with, with Dolph Ziggler perhaps was the highlight of his solo career there, uh, that ladder match. Um, he had a very, very brief run as the IC champion. Uh, but where do you stand on that, Paul? Do you, do you think that injuries were the biggest reason why he didn't fulfill his full potential? Or do you think some of the blame should fall on the company for not doing more with him? I think that I, I mean I think it's three parts and you know whether you want to say it's equally all three or if you want to lend more to one or the other I think number one was you know what the first thing was the injuries the second thing was that Vince McMahon just for whatever reason had a typecast of, of him and and basically this is what he is this is what his level's going to be he's not going to get any higher than this um, we may push him, and for whatever reason, whether it was warranted or not, um, that's basically uh, you know where he was at. And then you know the third, um, I think, was just basically bad luck. You know, like um, just whether you know whether it was injuries or certain things happened or guys came back. You know, for whatever reason, um, just it never really panned out because, like you said, there was a few times when things were supposed to happen and they just didn't. So, you know, it was, but, but at the same time, like he had, you know, he was there for eight years between NXT and the main roster and he, you know, he made money, he made a name for himself. Um, he's a, was a part of a memorable stable and a lot of guys don't do that well. So while, yeah, you might look at what could have been, I prefer to look at what was and, and then, you know, he made that decision to, uh, to kind of get out of there when he had the opportunity to and and reinvent himself and uh, you know and good for him but a lot of guys would have just stuck around and and kept cashing those checks well he came to a, a point similar to Gallows and Anderson and and other guys where he had to make a choice whether he was going to stay or go and, and whereas they decided to stay and and sign a bigger contract he decided to go and you have to sort of think to yourself whether well, he hadn't have done that maybe he would have been let go the same time those guys were uh, because they seem to release a lot of guys who were unhappy who, who have been vocal I think he publicly asked for his release the same way that Sean Spears I think had done so and whereas that worked out for him it didn't particularly work out for for for, um, for John for John Huber um, yeah, you know, he wasn't uh, let go at the time I think actually added some time onto his contract because of the injuries he had I think I'm right in saying, wasn't it? Because um, and then he decided to let him go like two weeks before it was due to his release was due. I think I'm right in saying. Yeah, it was. They they added on the injury time, sort of obviously not as lengthy, but kind of kind of like they did with Pac uh, before that. But uh, yeah, I mean, like you say, Paul, it's better to look at what was and 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 the great moments. And, and as Parker said, there were flashes there in WWE. I mean, one particular moment that stands out for me was. When he came back in, I think it was 2018, I, I can't remember the name of the, the pay-per-view, I think it may have been like Clash of Champions or something, where 
Rowan had a match with Roman Reigns, and Roman is kind of like charging down the rampway uh, to deliver a spear or whatever he's about to do, and and then out of nowhere, Luke Harper comes and hits him with a big boot, and the crowd just were really into him. They were chanting, welcome back, welcome back, and then they do a tag match where he teams with Rowan against um, Roman and Daniel Bryan. Then after that, there's a there's a brand split or a draft, whatever you want to call it, and Rowan gets drafted to Raw, and Harper wasn't even, I think, involved in the draft. And ah, oh, I don't know. It just that just felt like, well, they're not going to do anything with him now. It's never going to happen. And I think maybe he decided at that point, I need to go and I need to. AEW obviously wasn't around yet, but uh, it was certainly on the horizon. And he decided actually, that that was that was actually October 2019. So it, it was oh, 2019, believe it or not. Yeah. Oh yeah, like I just watched this, and I'm looking it up on on the internet uh, on the Cage Match site. So he basically that was right before or right after AEW debuted, and he yeah, like you said, everything you said is correct. Other than that, and then they he got they got split up, and he had a match uh, with Daniel Bryan um, on. Uh, on a, on house show and basically that was and a and a six man and then that was it so November so less than a month after the moment you're talking about that was it and his next match was March in AEW so wasn't there like, also I think Dave said on uh, Observer Radio there was a, there was a match with Dominic Dijakovic as well where he really soured on on Luke that, for some reason that was yeah that was in the I think it was a year before and it was um I. I, I I want to say I might have saw that one live if it was the one I'm thinking about or it might have been the year after, but it was on one of those Worlds Collide shows that they put on the network. It was an awesome yeah, match. It was ahead of, um, it was, I think it was ahead of WrestleMania that year. It was like, I think it may have been an access match or something like that. I mean, it was called Worlds Collide because they, they flew in all the talent, I believe, uh, from different brands. And yeah, and I remember, yeah, you're right, Paul, he obviously Luke Harper at the time promoting it like big time on social media and being like, no, I, I want this to be a big deal. And it ended up being a pretty solid match. Um, but you could tell, I mean, he's just so passionate and it's funny that it was with Dijakovic because I do think of Dijakovic as one of those guys who, if you're sort of, if you weren't a fan of indie wrestling at the time, I think Dijakovic is a good comparison to what people kind of thought of Brody Lee when he was on the Indies, um, and maybe we can move into to some more of his history uh, momentarily, David. Yeah, we're sort of working back, aren't we? Because we talked about AEW, now we're talking about WWE, <clears throat> and we're sort of working back there. But I think around <laughs> around that uh, around that time where he came back, wasn't that also when um, when he had the, the tag match with um, Roman and, and Daniel Bryan? Wasn't that around the sort of same time they had him? go out to Saudi Arabia and be involved in the Battle Royal and that's obviously when the whole thing happened with the the plane and whatever happened and there's that famous Instagram post or whatever where he's like stood on the like like the runway or something with his arms folded I think I'm right in saying so the the Battle Royal you're talking about was October 31st so it was a couple weeks after the thing with Roman um and then, yeah, and then after that, they had a triple threat match on uh, SmackDown. And, yeah, like, it, yeah, and that thing, I think at that point, like, when he had that huge return, and he was so over, and you could tell he was over, and he probably was thinking, oh, man, I'm, you know, I'm set right now. I'm going to be, I'm going to get my big shot. And and that that was when they had convinced him not to go to AEW, like, earlier in there, because I think he had... I don't know if he'd re-signed or no. They wouldn't let him. They wouldn't give him his release, and they were they were going to push him. And then you know they broke up the team, and and then he probably just saw the writing on the wall. And then I think when Rowan got injured, that's when he decided, oh yeah, I have an injury too, and I need to get that taken care of. And yeah, he took some time off as well for for his wrist. I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. I mean, the WWE run like we say there were there were times there where they looked like they was going to do something with him and it's never happened for whatever reason but prior to him coming in then to WWE he had this great run on the indies um Dragon Gate Combat Zone he also worked for Shikara as well when was the match with with John Moxley that was like 2009 that's one that a lot of people bring up isn't it um have you seen that match Parker that he had with Moxley 
I have the death match. I think it was 2010 um, for the CZW World Title. Um, def- just like a pure death match, like definitely not out of place for what you'd see at a CZW show at the time. Thumbtacks, boards, getting put through all that type of stuff. So, um, I mean, it's interesting because I think <laughs> uh, Brody Lee looks and wrestles exactly the same like this year as he did t- 10 years ago, whereas John Moxley looks completely different. Um, he's, you know, he's bulked up so much and he's sort of grown out the beard, whereas in this he's, he's more honestly a baby face at, at the point. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's definitely a famous one. Um, Lee was more of a special attraction for the indies, uh, especially towards the end of his run. Groups would kind of bring him in for a big match, but he didn't really... Aside from Chikara and Dragging It USA, he didn't really operate consistent like storylines or programs uh, for the last few years on the indies. But uh, CZW is one of, one example of that. Any matches you saw from that time frame, Paul, that you've gone back and watched? Honestly, not really. I don't. I don't tend to go back and watch a lot of uh, indie matches. Um, Although, like, I am familiar with a lot of it, uh, I just I haven't actually gone back and seen it. Well, I think one of his great rivals from that time was um, Cesaro, who, of course, at the time was um, Claudio Castanoli, which I think is his real name, actually. But they had... Um, a, well, well, what promotion was that for? Was that CCW as well, um, Parker? It would have been Chikara. Chikara. Yeah, Chikara. Um, th- that would be probably his most famous occurrence on the indies um either that or maybe something to do with dragon gate in japan um but it culminated i mean just a typical feud brody lee's this monster castagnoli's this sort of baby face star um you know so he, he had the castagnoli had the physique at the time but he didn't really have that sort of star aura that he would eventually get so it feels very low rent, um, but at the same time, the match itself, uh, the feud culminated in a steel cage match, which I believe is on YouTube right now. I, have, I haven't gone back to watch it yet, but that is almost certainly what most people who who, who followed Brody Lee would say is the best match of his, um, at the very least, his indie run, if not if not the best match of his career. Super fast-paced, only like 15-minute. Uh, steel cage match, not an epic like, like you might expect, but it's completely all action, non-stop indie spot fest, but with you know, but it all makes sense, it's not just doing moves for moves sake, it's really really fantastic uh, match as far as I can remember and I think as we, as we said, Bruiser Brody was someone that he didn't really watch growing up because Bruiser was a little bit, I hate this term but it was kind of ahead of his time so um or before his time rather so the guys that he kind of watched as a kid and i think was a big fan of were guys like rick rude and jake roberts and the big show as well i believe was one that he really was a huge fan of and obviously got to work with big show in his run in wbe but uh, any, anybody else parker you're aware of that he was a big fan of or, or kind of um based his style around at all I think you've named the big ones. I definitely have heard about Rick Rude. He's talked about Rick Rude quite a bit, as well as um, The Big Show. And you can absolutely see the the Big Show influence in how he wrestled. I mean, he knew he was a giant, and he knew that he needed to wrestle like a giant. You know, Big Show, early in his career, would do these ridiculous athletic stunts, um, despite his size, you know, as he sort of grew up and gained weight and was employed by WWE, he sort of limited on that, and, and Brody Lee ended up being the exact same way. He would do these this like crazy athleticism where he'd be bouncing off the ropes like it's nothing, um, like a cruiserweight out there, and, and still keep that monster presence. And so I definitely, I mean, you see, you can absolutely see those emulations in, in his work as he continued to develop the style. Are you aware of anybody else, Paul, that he was a he based his style around? Um, no, I mean, the ones you mentioned for sure. Um, and I think what he, what he did also was kind of borrow things from people along the way. Um, so, you know, as, as he took advice from different people that he worked with, 
um, you know, when he used to, he started out kind of working that cruiserweight style just because he could. And then um, as as people started getting in his ear and telling him, you know, no, you need to work like a big man because you are a big man. Um, and that was the thing. Like, we haven't really mentioned much. Like, he is a really big man. Um, I He said in the interview with Alvarez in 2010 that he's a legit 6'7". Um, so, you know, and most guys now, like, you know, if you're six feet, six one, six two, like you're getting billed at six four and you're a monster on the indies. And like, even in those dark order skits, like he is at least a head taller than every single one of them. So for him, like he, he was able to kind of slow down and work that methodical style and then bust out the big moves so they would have more impact. And, and he did mention too, I think, um, uh, maybe taking a little bit from Brock Lesnar in that sense, you know, where Brock Lesnar could do like he'd do a moonsault at WrestleMania um, when it when the moment called for it. So I, I think like for him, he was a student of the game and uh, and and adapted his style along the way, and it enabled him to have uh, a very unique career. And it it was probably great to work with guys like Taker and Kane, who he got to work with a little bit in WWE, uh, and those guys obviously were. A similar kind of size to him um so it would have been great to have gotten there and, and worked with those guys but i think um the one thing that really stands out to me about john huber whether you look at his run as luke harper or as Brody lee was like you say for for a guy that size the things he was able to do and and pick his spots too i mean he, he knew not to do crazy things unless it the, the moment kind of called for it um, that's the one thing that I think really stands out to me the most. What really jumps out to you, Parker, is as being his biggest sort of attributes, if you like, and the things he'll be most remembered for. Yeah, yeah. So I completely agree with that. That uh, with that description of him, he was a fantastic athlete. Unbelievable the things he could do at his size. In addition, I want to talk about his character work. You know, you look at guys like in Shikara who had to be larger than life personas of themselves. You think about people like Eddie Kingston and Orange Cassidy and Chuck Taylor, who also came from Chikara. You know, they were all completely committed to the gimmick and the character, and it really made those storylines work. Um, the other big thing that I think goes along with his legacy, and that sort of touches on what you just mentioned, David, is his... Um, I, I think he was a little bit... <laughs> to, to copy what you just said, ahead of his time uh, on the indies in the sense that a couple of years ago there was this huge resurgence of ultra-athletic big men. They were all over you know, the major indies like PWG and Ring of Honor and uh, over in the UK as well, where you get guys like Keith Lee, like Dominic Dijakovic, like Matt, well, Matt Riddle's not quite that big, but people like Walter, Jeff Cobb. Um, those types of wrestlers where that was the style for pretty much all of 2016 and 2017. Like, if you were going to do an indie show, those were the top guys that you're going to see on it. And I think Brody Lee would have fit in fantastically among that group. And it's, um, obviously, he was able to provide for his family and everything like that, and that's the most important thing. But selfishly, it's a bit of a shame I didn't get to see him sort of interact with, with most of those guys. In, in a real indie or sort of unrestricted setting where he could kind of go all out and do what he needed to do because um, he really did pave the way for wrestlers like that. Anything you'd like to add to that, Paul? Anything that uh, you think um, was what some of his strongest attributes? Yeah, um, well, I think what Parker, his last point there is, is probably the main reason why that match that he had with Dajakovic on the Worlds Collide was so special to him, as well as to a lot of the fans watching it, that, you know, maybe had, had seen some of the Dajakovic-Lee matches on, um, you know, on, on the Indies, especially his ones in PWG, or, you know, the matches that, you know, that Dajakovic had with Riddle, and, you know, where he was keeping up with those guys, and so you thought, well, if he could do this on a WWE stage, maybe they're going to give him a chance to do that, and then he just never did. Um, but, you know, we, we did see flashes of what he was capable of as a single, and, and as a tag, like, you know, in some really great matches that he had over that WWE run, it's just, in that company, 
that is not the kind of matches that they want a guy who's six seven, three hundred pounds to have. It's just, you know, unless you get to be like the Undertaker and you're going to have that match with Shawn Michaels. Um, but even like if it was Undertaker against, you know, Kane, for instance, like they're not having a five star match. That's not that they're not capable of it. It's just not the way that that they're going to be booked. So, um, and unfortunately, I think that his timing. Just, you know, at the time he was on the Indies, I mean, a lot of the guys really that, that he ended up with in AEW were the guys that he came up with in the Indies. So if you're wondering what the Indies were like in, you know, 20, 2008 to 2012, um, when he was on there and, and really making a name for himself, like, those are the same guys. So he was head and shoulders above everyone at the time. Even Brian Alvarez would talk about how when he was, um, you know, going around at that time, he was all, you know, he was the, like the same size as everyone else um, because, it, you know, it was just a bunch of small guys and then you had this big giant out there working with all of them. So, uh, yeah, it was, you know, again, unfortunate in a way, selfishly, like you said, but fortunate for him that he was able to make a lot of money and provide for his family. How much do you think working with, luke harper and, and and also eric rowan for that matter how much do you think that helped braun Strowman? because when braun Strowman first came in and and also bray white but when braun Strowman came in in, in, in 2015 or whenever, whenever it was let's be honest he wasn't he wasn't great in the ring but he got really really good towards like 2017 when he had that great feud with with roman reigns and obviously Braun Strowman's pathway into the business was a little bit different to those guys because he hadn't really had a long indie career. I think I'm right in saying that he was like a weightlifting guy, wasn't he, initially, Parker? Yeah, yeah, Strowman or was strongman. just a bodybuilder yeah, or, or, yeah, Strowman was just a bodybuilder guy. Um, but I think you're absolutely right there in, in just, you know, obviously we don't know the inner workings of how the WWE, like, training system goes, whether... It's the performance center or once people reach the main roster or anything like that. But with that being said, the amount of people who ju- just in AEW have posted text messages from Brody Lee saying, you know, here's, a, here's some advice or great job out there, blah, 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 something along those lines. I mean, you have to think that, that Harper was at the time identifying that this Strowman guy is, is an incredible athlete. And it's hard to imagine, you know, a better person to learn for than somebody who at the same time as you can do the same athletic things that you can do, but just create a more effective professional wrestling story. Um, so I think you're absolutely right there, David. Yeah, there was really nobody better to be paired with, Paul, was there, than, than, than maybe Luke and Bray and, and Eric Rowan? Well, and if you if you think about it, and, and if you assume, and I have no reason not to, that Luke Harper did give him that advice that helped him become better, when you really look at it, you had a guy that came in uh, a couple years into their run and really basically took the spot that Luke Harper could have gone yeah. very potentially could have had. So he basically was, was preparing Braun Strowman to take his job because if it wasn't Braun Strowman, it would have been, it could have been Luke Harper that would have broke out from the shield and become that singles guy. Um, that was going to be a feud that they were going to build up for Roman Reigns. And really like I, I, I think hindsight being 2020, but I think I would also said it with foresight. I think Luke Harper would have been a better choice to put in that role. Yeah, but absolutely. you know, he's bigger, he's younger, he's probably stronger. So in Vince's eyes, he's better, and so that's the choice he made. And and Luke Harper's choice uh, role was to be in the background, be part of that tag team. I mean, if you want to think of him as like a kind of a real bizarre world four horsemen, you had Bray Wyatt as uh, as Ric Flair. As, as odd as that sounds, you had, uh, you know, Braun Strowman as Lex Luger, and then you had Harper and Rowan as, as Anderson and Blanchard. Like, so that's that's the role. And, and he played it well. But, you know, and, he, and I think he obviously helped Bray, Bray Wyatt. I mean, if you think that he was patterning his career after Bruiser Brody, how much of that did he pass on to Bray Wyatt as the cult leader, as the, you know, the intelligent monster? Um, and really, then... When he came into AEW, he basically played a similar character to what Bray Wyatt was playing in the early days of NXT and, and on Raw. So, um, and and look at the reaction that Bray Wyatt, or you know, um, 
or I don't even know, Wyndham Rotunda, I think that's his name, like yeah. the reaction that he has right now about the passing of, of John Huber, and that tells you how much Luke Harper helped him in his career. Well, the outpouring of tributes on Twitter is kind of unprecedented. I can't think of anybody else. I mean, when you really think about it, there hasn't been a great deal of wrestling deaths in recent years of guys this young. You know, obviously we had Chad Gaspard pass away earlier on this year and that there was a great outpouring for him but social media wasn't really around when like eddie guerrero died back in 2005 yeah. twitter wasn't a thing facebook wasn't a thing there was myspace of course back then but um i just can't think of anyone to really compare him to because most of the guys that have passed away in, in recent years have been legends you know but for a guy that's got so many peers in the industry right now, working in WWE and AEW, I can't think of anyone to compare him to, Parker. Can you? It, it's really been incredible. Uh, in the wake of his passing, I mean, just, just the complete outpouring of support for this guy who was... A guy who would do, you know, would treat his wrestling, treat his work with the care and respect it needed. He would do everything he needed to do for the company. And then when that was done, all he wanted to do was, was go home and be with his family. Um, the sort of Christmas present, I, I imagine, they gave to uh, his son with the angle, uh, with the sort of angle with Omega. That was a, a sort of a dark, a dark match type deal where... He won the AEW World Championship a couple weeks ago after the tapings, where the live crowd was still there, is just heart-wrenching to even think about. Um, the fact that his last televised match ever was, in my opinion, the single best singles match of his career, the dog collar match with Cody, I think bodes... I mean, it's... You don't want to ascribe too much poeticism to things like this, but... When it's when all the outpouring of support on social media, I mean, nobody has a single negative thing to say about him, and everybody has their own unique, completely unique story about Brody Lee. With at the same time, you start seeing patterns of him, like saying, you know, <laughs> goodbye forever, that type of thing, or belittling, you know, the the new guys, but also being a kind word when they needed it buying gear for, for all the members of the Dark Order, that type of stuff. I mean, really, just having never known the guy or met the guy, just, you, you can't imagine a better or more appropriate outpouring of, of, of response and, and love and grief for, uh, for, his, for his way too young passing. You brought up the match with um, Cody, the dog collar match, which I think I'm right in saying, if the Greg Valentine... Roddy Piper match wasn't his favorite match of all time. It was certainly one of them. And I believe that was his idea to do that match because I think there was a AEW unrestricted podcast he did with Tony and Aubrey where he talked about the fact that he chose that stipulation. And obviously Greg Valentine was there in the crowd watching that match. For that to be his last match, Paul, it's, it's kind of, what's the word? It's kind of poetic in a way. Yeah, I mean, um, Parker used that word, and I'm looking at a list right now on um, uh, Prowess and Database of all of his matches that ever got a star rating from Dave Meltzer, and he had four matches that were all rated four and a half stars, and three of them were, were tag team or multi-man matches, and that match was the only singles match. Um, so basically his last match was his best match. I think that's and right, yeah. Yeah, and the thing is, like, I I have to think that the way that that all went down, and I don't know if we're we're jumping a bit ahead, but I mean, we're you know we're probably getting closer to the end of the time, anyways. But um, he, I have to think that he knew that there was a decent chance that this was going to be his last match, at least for a while. So he wanted to make sure and put over Cody as strong as he could, and have the best match that he possibly could. Because, I mean, he had just won the title, and there wasn't really a ton of setup for the match. It just kind of happened out of nowhere. Cody returned, 
uh, Brody challenged him to a doll collar match, and the match happened all within like two weeks of each other, and then he was gone. And uh, and then his very last tweet that he made was much respect to Cody Rhodes, and and that was it. Like that was the whole tweet. Um, so I you know I, I I feel like he basically gave everything he had that he could, and then he went to be with his family. And uh, I love that quote that Parker uh, gave, and, and this was something that Eric Rowan said, was that whenever he would go home, he would say goodbye forever because he wanted to make it feel like those one or two days that he had with his family was forever. So if he said that, then that would mean that he was leaving forever. And then if he happened to come back, then he'd get another forever the next week. Yeah. Um, I really don't know what to, what to say. I think we're all just still trying to process all of this um nobody really saw it coming obviously we all wondered why he wasn't around you know why he had disappeared after the match with cody wasn't on tv but i think everyone just assumed that maybe it was a sort of serious injury but then again thinking about it if it was a serious injury why did no one ever mention it you know everyone was very secretive um and i think only a select few people knew the severity of what he was going through and uh, it all seemed to happen very, very quick because that match we're talking about, it wasn't that long ago, you know. So October seventh, October the seventh, yeah. So it's only been it's been like a couple of months where he's been dealing with this, and you have to do have to ask yourself, you know, did he know that this could have been his last match? So he went all out for it, and his 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 last match was his best match in many many ways. But um, just as we're sort of getting ready to to wrap up here um any particular tributes you've seen i've obviously mentioned the eric rowan one there but any particular tributes on uh, twitter you've seen parker that you've um that's particularly caught your eye and 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 you particularly uh have been um what's the word moved by yeah there's been a few we, we mentioned a couple um the rowan one was a big one um paul you mentioned it the, the bray wyatt or Wyndham rotunda one was very touching as well. Um, he went very in-depth, and you could see that he was a guy, because, you know, Rotunda Bray Wyatt is one of these guys who's like Brody Lee, the sort of, you know, big-brained, put-everything-you-have-into-whatever-character-you're-portraying. Um, and it's clear that they sort of bounced off each other in that sense as they were part of the Wyatt family. Um, one that, a couple that stand out to me are all of his Dark Order people. I mean, the fact that he went out of his way to use his own money and buy gear and design gear for his stable because not only did he want his stable of course to look good but i mean that's a big deal for someone like preston vance who's a, a nobody in the wrestling scene to have this you know legitimate star presence now that he's got you know a jacket and a real dark order stable with him i think that's i mean that, that's the type of stuff that the little things that can make or break careers for people um and then the other ones that stand out to me are sort of talking about how how he would get very moved by by a lot of social issues uh you talk you know talking i, I believe biggie was one that was one of the ones that were in the wake of the passing of george floyd over the summer um harper cried alongside biggie i believe was was what biggie had said in his post and so just clearly a man who lived with such uh, veracity and passion and and life and everything like that and um <laughs> i've said i said this already but the fact that that everybody has their own story with the fact that some of the stories start to bounce off each other and and come off as like oh this is a thing that this guy did you get such a beautiful picture of of who Brody lee was and it's it's just way too sad that he's he's gone already do you have any favorites that you've uh, seen paul um I really liked what Big E had to say, um, where his tweet was, I hope you all get to know someone like John. Mm. He was the biggest family man and someone who made me laugh daily. I'll miss him every day for the rest of my life, and I thank you so much for loving me. Yeah, I think that pretty much says it all, doesn't it? It's just... Um, yeah, I think um, sort of company rivalry sort of goes out the window when something like this happens. It, it was great to see Stephanie use the RIP... Hashtag R.I.P. Brody Lee uh, because obviously he was never Brody Lee in WWE. A lot of guys that worked with him there 
have referred to him as Brody Lee and, that, and not Luke Harper. I mean, some have, but for the most part, they've used that name. And, and um, I think it was Charlotte Flair actually retweeted the AEW sort of press release they put out. It's just been really great to see that people are just not uh, people are not bothered by that because at the end of the day, what does it really matter? At the end of the day, this wrestling is a a tight knit community. Everyone is friends with each other. AW and WWE guys are all friends, and everybody certainly thought the world of of John Huber. You, you can just tell that from all of the tweets that we've seen, one after the other. Everyone from every sort of um, every company, uh, all, you know, everybody has n- nothing but fantastic things to say about him, and um, we can only do so much on this podcast to pay tribute to him and and. Um, give him the due that he deserves I, I will say I think um, Josiah in Canada uh, Josiah McDonald has written a great piece on him too I don't know if you guys have checked that out at all yes yeah. uh, a really great piece on him and, and um, yeah I mean what more can we say I, I, I want to thank both of you for coming on it's been great to speak to both of you I, I wish it was under different circumstances but I'm sure we will uh, do podcasts together, together again in the future on other topics I would love to do that yeah sounds good David absolutely. thank you you both have an absolutely. open invitation to come on my podcast in the future <laughs> which uh, I hope you will do but um, just before we uh, wrap up completely anything you want to plug Parker anything you want to say before we before we go here no they just announced the card for this Wednesday I, I do the live dynamite coverage for F4W and it's going to be a tribute show to Brody Lee and so it's going to be a very emotional time for everybody involved so we'll get to check that out are they i assume they're still going to do are they still going to do the match with omega and 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 ray phoenix or is that not going to happen now that's been postponed okay that make that makes sense that makes sense um paul anything you'd like to plug obviously you've got a great podcast with um ryan frederick in the clinch yeah yeah, thank you. Yeah, we um, we uh, episode on the Fight Game Media Network Patreon group uh, drops every Tuesday morning, so we'll be recording that tonight. And um, you're getting an exclusive here. Uh, our first guest that we'll ever have on the show, that's not me or Ryan, is going to be um, Thomas uh, Santel, a.k.a. Uh, Antonio Promise Thomas. And uh, we're going to talk... Um, you know, he's got, he trains in MMA and he's a big MMA fan, but we're also going to talk a little bit about Brody Lee because he worked with him and, uh, was, was friends with them as well. So, um, yeah, we're, uh, we're going to be doing that tonight and, uh, it'll be up tomorrow morning. And of course he has his own podcast. Um, I left, yeah, my, wallet. Uh, I left my wallet Yeah, on the, uh, wrestling observer uh, website and uh, he talks that he may, uh, be doing something with fight game at some point. So, Oh, we look forward to that. But um, thank you, Paul. Thank you, Parker. And um, thank you to everyone for listening.